Hi, Eric. Search. So you have given some serious thought to what happens to a society when it is experiencing the kind of stress that it is experiencing right now. Yes. Uh, under conditions of sustained stress, uh, there tends to be a chain reaction that moves through uh, the group of people, whether it's a, a family, a community, or a whole society. And what happens in this kind of a chain reaction is that you end up where people who are anxious clump together with people who are anxious and people who are apparently calmer, but usually actually dissociated, clump together with each other. So you end up with the people who uh, focus and perseverate and are anxious about the threat and agree with each other about this the whole time. And then other people who appear to be in denial and minimize the threat. And these drop into, these form into two separate camps. And between the two camps, they tend not to include each other. They tend not to trust each other. Um, they, it, it's very difficult for them to, a common, uh, to come to a common understanding of what's real and wasn't and what isn't real. It's difficult for them to participate to solve problems and build a life together. So what I'd like to focus on is a little bit on, on how this mechanism works and what we can do to bring some flow between these, these two camps. Um, that could be helpful from our families up to our society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's um, something about, um, there's kind of an isomorphy between what happens at the level of society as a whole, at the level of smaller groups within the society, at the level of individual families. And that's that same mechanism of what happens under stress, that some people go into uh, fight-flight and some people go into collapse. And, uh, and you have that polarization of reactions. Yes. Um, and and it, it appears at different levels, not so much because uh, it's a phenomenon at those different levels. It is. But because you can pick any set of three people and it grows the same way that a chain reaction grows. So uh, let, let me give you an example. Let's say I'm very, very upset about something and I come to you and I say, Serge, I'm so upset about this terrible thing. And I'm filled with anxiety. I'm, I'm upset. You must listen to me. And you are, and, and it puts you into a very particular um, uh, dilemma. It, it's not really a dilemma, but it appears to be a dilemma. You can agree with me. And if you agree with me, you're going to be flooded by my anxiety which is not pleasant. Or you can disagree with me and you spare yourself the anxiety. Now, those two responses affect me differently. If you agree with me and you feel my anxiety, now we've reinforced how I see the situation and you're anxious and I'm anxious both. So fine. So now the two of us are going to go tell other people about how upsetting this thing is. If, on the other hand, you say, no, 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 you're exaggerating, Eric, then I become even more anxious because now you're rejecting what I know to be true. So now my anxiety is increased and I go out to try to recruit someone else. Now, 
In an open system, meaning you and I are surrounded by tens or hundreds of people who are calm, this is not a problem. It just kind of bleeds out. And this happens all the time. But in a closed system, families are more closed system. Um, and right now, the whole planet is affected by this virus and, um, and by economic strains. So right now, we're having a closed system phenomenon. And in the closed system, there is no way for you to go. If you say yes and you join me in the anxiety, we have a limited number of people that we can talk to before we run into other people who are already dealing with this dissociation or anxiety. And so it begins to bounce off each other and it becomes a, it becomes again a chain reaction where you end up with the people who are very anxious and the people who are dissociated. And, and this is the split. And the split is, is, is harmful. It's harmful us at every level of relationship. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's a very, very, very powerful um, exp expression of the dynamic. Um, and that there's a dilemma that uh, when confronted with the anxious person, um, you know, no matter what you do is not a good option. Um, but there's something about um, opposing the anxious to the dissociated person. There's another opposition anxious to calm. So um, are we talking about the fact that there are just anxious people and calm people or anxious people and dissociated people? That, that's a really good question. We have tendencies toward one or the other. Some of us are more uh, phlegmatically, more um, tend to be just more slow and calm. Um, and some of us are more traumatized and passive because of that. Some of us are more sort of wired and sympathetically activated. Yes, there are tendencies, but this dynamic overrides all of those tendencies. Uh, I, just to give an example of this, so my, my brother is an emergency room doctor. Well, so he's normally in this very um, active position um, around threats, right? People come into the, to the emergency room all the time and he is active in solving things. But imagine that there's a, that he's in a car wreck um, and he's bound to, he's trapped in the car and he can't do anything. And, uh, and then some very traumatized, uh, slow moving person walks past. Well, that person is going to call the police or, or, or pull him out of the car. In other words, circumstances and this dynamic will override our tendencies. And you're right. We tend to have, we will tend to go to the tendency That, that fits us best. May I add something? Mm -hmm. So some of you may be thinking uh, that this reminds you some of Murray Bowen's mapping of what happens in family systems. And good, uh, because that, that's one of the bases of this work. But Bowen is talking about habits and stances and dynamics that have formed a homeostasis in a family over many, many years, if not generations. This is like that dynamic, except this is happening at high speed and again, right. spreading like a chain reaction. But it does tell us what we can do about this dilemma because the Bowen people figured out exactly what should, we should do. Now, I, I don't want to go there too quickly, but we can talk about what can be done to avoid this dilemma when you're ready. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, so just um, that very strong sense of uh, this is not normal. And yeah. so everything takes place within the crucible of a crisis. And so uh, the normal tendencies that we might have to, for instance, be calmer under pressure is going to be affected by the fact that there is intense pressure here that's way beyond what we're accustomed to. And so that's why we're talking about stress. This is a, yeah. you know, a very extreme situation of stress. Yes, that's right. And of course, we have two stresses going on. We have the stress of the virus, um, and then we have the second stress, which is arguably larger, which is the stress to the economy. But they're both stresses. We have mm -hmm. solutions to both. Now, individuals may be traumatized. People may get sick. People may die. Businesses may shut down. But the societies are stressed. This is, yeah. this is not a traumatic overwhelm for society. This is a sustained stress that's putting societies into these crucibles. Right, right. So, so very clearly, uh, we're separating the paying attention to individuals and paying attention to society and our focus here is on society as a whole. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe it makes sense to say, what does the experience of the Murray Bowen people tell us about how to handle this kind of stress? Okay. Um, to, to really simplify this even more, this chain reaction, you could think of it like uh, electricity. And that when the electricity comes in, a person can accept it and it runs through them and that feels terrible. This is the anxious, creating rapport with the anxious. Or they can sort of flip the circuit breaker and nothing goes through. And there's the dissociation or cutoff response. Yeah, so the all or nothing and response. All or nothing response. So as the Bowen people talked about, the way that we can serve ourselves, our families, our communities is by refusing either of those responses. And the way that happens is this. We, we stay in rapport with the other person while disagreeing with them somewhat. So if you're anxious, my response is going to be, if you come to me and you say, this is so terrible, Eric, my response is going to be is to take it seriously enough and depending on how much past and how much trust we have to maintain a rapport so the connection is alive between us and I feel enough of the anxiety and acknowledge enough of your perspective that you will stay in relationship with me. The energy will flow. The anxiety will flow. But I will disagree with the extent of it. Yeah. So you come to me and you want a sandwich. I will give you half a sandwich and you will be dissatisfied. So when we have the interaction, I didn't cut you off, but I didn't fully agree with you. So I'm basically suggesting that we have unsatisfying interactions with each other all the time. Right. And yeah. so you say, well, I can basically trust Eric. Um, it's okay, but he doesn't really get it. And so now what's happening is I'm acting as a rheostat, right? With like a light switch dimmer. So I'm accepting some of the anxiety, but I'm dampening some of your anxiety. That's beautiful. You don't get to escalate. Because, are you with me? 
Yeah, no, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I could belabor this this metaphor. No, no, I, I, I love the metaphor. I, I absolutely love the metaphor. And I want to just take a breather to get people a chance to digest it. And I'm going to recap a little bit some of what I'm hearing. Uh, and first, so we're talking, we're here in the level of the metaphor, and the metaphor involves two individuals as opposed to society. We'll come back to society. So just to clarify, we're in the the part of it that's a metaphor. What I love about the metaphor um, is uh, at many levels. You have ver various ways of expressing it, and I love the metaphor of the dimmer, and I love the metaphor of the half sandwich. And what I want to highlight is that in doing this, uh, it's not uh, just a mechanical cutting of the sandwich, but there is a profound thing that's happening is as the person who is listening to the anxious person coming, uh, you're not just passive. You're not confronted with either or of just all or nothing, but you have a moment to really experience, you know, yourself as a dimmer. Um, to say, I have the choice of being somewhere in that continuum between all and nothing. Yes. And you have a chance to say, I respect the other person and I want to be in connection with them, but I respect myself and I want to be in connection with me. And the part of cutting the sandwich in two is about having some respect for one and some respect for myself. Yes. And the metaphor of the dimmer I love because thinking of myself as a dimmer means I have agency. You know, the outside circumstances are what they are, but I can take action in order to achieve that respect for the other and for myself. So that's a yes. profound paradigm change where instead of being simply passive in front of the crisis, I have the opportunity to ask, what, yes. what, what, what can I do? Yes, yes, yes. And um, if we interact and you say, can you believe uh, you're on the dissociation side and you say to me, can you believe all these, these news reports? This is just a plot to hurt the economy so that, so that whatever. My job there is to be in rapport with you in your dissociation and to feed anxiety to you as much anxiety as you can tolerate without cutting off from me. So I can say, yes, I hear you, and my aunt is in the hospital with this right now. Oh, well that's, well, that's tough because you care about me as a person, and so you care about my family, and you care about my aunt, and if she really is in the hospital, ah, now you're feeling some anxiety. So it's, again, it's, it's the other half of the sandwich. So again, if you're presenting no anxiety, then I want to bring you half an anxiety sandwich. And if you present anxiety, I want to bring you half a calm sandwich. Yeah, yeah. It's always a half a sandwich. And so uh, very, very much in the whole concept of polarized roles, that if somebody is ostensibly in one pole, uh, just occupying the other pole is going to increase polarization. And so we see that the person is in one pole and we find in ourselves the part that is experiencing some of that anxiety, not necessarily for the same reason, not, you know, it might be in fact, you know, we have a different content to it, but we yes. pay attention to our own anxiety and bringing it in there. And so that emotionally 
there's not one person who is on the anxious pole and one person who is on the calm or apparently calm pole. Yes, yes, yes. <sighs> I'm yeah. taking a breath here because I, I, I could just keep talking for... No, but actually, I appreciate the breath there because it's a you know as uh, as we follow this, there is a logic to it, and it seems relatively simple. But I think the breath uh, is really warranted in the sense of the magnitude of the work, the emotional work that is involved in order to be able to do this, because these situations are situations of intense pressure, and we yeah. tend to actually break down under the pressure of the other person's anxiety and our own in how to manage it. So I think it's kind of that yes. breath is about honoring the difficulty of doing this. Very much. Um, if, it, if it works, I'd like to leap from the, 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 the handful of people or the family and friends up to the societal level for a Great. moment. Great. So a thing, but, but I am going to use an expression from, from Murray Bowen again, which is he would talk about there are no angels and devils. So he would say, it doesn't make sense when we want the, the light switch to be all or nothing, to be off or on, because that's not actually how reality is. But it can seem like reality when we're polarized. So we have had progressively more polarizing presidents over the last few presidents. Each one has become more, more polarizing. And to say, yes, the, the, the source of all problems, the source of all evil in the world is Donald Trump is ridiculous. It's, it's, it's not accurate. One can have, one can criticize uh, his, his personality, his moral code, his effectiveness, his policies, everything, but that does not make him a devil. And one can go to the other side. If somebody just loves everything that, that, that Trump does, neither is he an angel. Neither was Obama. And the point of this is not to create an equivalence. There is right, there is wrong. Some people are much better some, at something. Some people are a little bit better. Some people are more moral than others. This is not an equivalence. It's simply to say that the two extremes of angel and devil, it's, it's a simplicity for the mind, but it does not help relationship. It stops the flow and it's not helpful. It degrades, it, 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 it excludes everyone who's in the other position. It degrades trust between the two positions. It makes it almost impossible to have common understanding and it makes it almost impossible to participate with people from another point of view to find solutions. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, it seems like the we you started from the concept, the Murray Bowen's concept of no angel, no devil. Yes. Um, and the thing that makes it very difficult for people to follow this in practice is the idea that if the person who, on the whole, I favor, and the person who, on the whole, uh, I really have tremendous problems with, are neither angels nor demons, then uh, does it mean they're the same because they're somewhere in the middle? And actually, it not, it's not at all what you're saying. 
uh, it's simply for argument's sake, you might say there's a continuum that's this big and one's going to be more on one side, the other is going to be more on the other side. Uh, it's not a question of saying you have to agree that they're the same, which, you know, you're not saying, uh, but there is a lot of space between the two poles and that the discussion is better served if we're saying that we're somewhere on this continuum as opposed to on one of the poles. Yes, I think politically the clearest example we had of this was uh, in 2008 when the uh, John McCain and Barack Obama were competing for the presidency and things were becoming more and more extreme in, in the rhetoric each way. And uh, there was concern around some of the some of the the violence that that uh, that there was f- that it was feared would arise. In particular, some of the some of the aggressiveness of Sarah Palin's characterizations of Obama. And John McCain stepped forward and said, uh, "You know, Barack Obama is not an evil man, right?" He said, "No angels and devils," is what McCain said. That, you know, he's a family man, he's a good man, um, and I happen to disagree profoundly with his policies and his vision for the country. So that was an example of him saying, no angels and devils, but there is a huge difference, a gulf between us. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was very moved, and I still remember that situation and feel very moved when I remember it. Um. And um, one of the things that is very moving about it is it takes a strength to say, you know, he is not an evil man. And I disagree because it puts the emphasis on I agree or disagree as a human being, as opposed to this is good and evil. I have no responsibility for it. I just happen to have identified what is good. So, uh, you know, that's something where, you know, beyond the good and evil is actually not taking responsibility and including taking responsibility for the fact that we may not be right and it's a subjective opinion. Yes. Yes. So this goes back to what you were saying before about how we have agency in this time to, 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 to interact with other people and to move away from the angel and devil position yeah. to neither fully agree with the anxious, neither fully agree with the, 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 the dissociated um, to neither fully agree with the calm and to connect with the person, keep rapport with that person as a human being politically, personally, our spouse, um, a member of our community, a member of another political party, to keep that emotional rapport and respect while pushing uh, against another position. Yeah, yeah. This, this would help dampen uh, the, the extremes and help bring us together to be able to create the conditions to be able to come to the so many agreements that we need to we have to. We have so many challenges right now, from from taking care of families to how much social distancing to how to help small businesses that are falling apart. There are problems with this on all sides, and we need everyone, or at least we need a, a, a lot more than half of us. 
to be able to solve these problems. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I really, as you restated, I find it very simple and eloquent to separate the person and the position. Mm-hmm. Um, the difficulty in my mind is that we tend to identify with position because in a way um, don't feel as solid by saying, I believe this and it's easier to believe it if we believe it's an absolute truth. So um, in order to do this, there is a growing up about accepting that say my belief Um, is potentially questionable. It's not an absolute truth that I can be attacked for it. uh, And that, you know, I not safe by simply stonewalling others by saying it is correct because it's the truth and the rest is, you know, false. Yes. How do we deal with that inherent vulnerability. I think that my sense of it is that the vulnerability of saying it's just my opinion, I believe strongly in it, I disagree violently with the other position. But, you know, after all, I'm realizing that it's only a point of view. It's not absolute truth. It's not absolute science. You know, and I'm vulnerable about stating that. You know, I think that's kind of what makes us harden into wanting it to be an absolute truth. I agree. Arnie Mandel uh, used to say, and probably still says today, um, that roles are bigger than people, but people are more complex than roles. Yeah. Hmm? And so it's easy for us to be swept away by the power and simplicity of a role when we're much more than that. Yeah, yeah. So, so in that sense, to apply it, um, we're much more than, say, a Democrat, a Republican, a progressive, a conservative, a Trump hater, a Trump lover. You know, uh, so how, do, how can we, in practice, find a way to, to grow into that larger sense of self? And this comes back to to the theme of our talk today, which is in a time of sustained stress, which we have with the virus and with the stress on the economy, is to track the stress or or disconnection uh, or, or dissociation or lack or apparent lack of stress, is to just track that one thing and ask ourselves, so when, when I interact with somebody else, if they're calmer than me around, around, this, around this current uh, stress in our society, then I want to be in rapport and I want to share more stress with that person. If the person is more stressed than I am, then I want to be in rapport and I want to uh, uh, bring in some calmness. Yeah. And so simply doing that yeah, 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 yeah. will just dampen, dampen and open a flow. 
Okay. So um, I want to yeah, kind of beat it over the head again with a two by four yes. with by, by slightly changing the, uh, the wording. Um, what you're talking about is remembering that the conversation is not just about the content, the words, about the ideas and about the concepts. Um, we're in the realm of human communication, and human communication is partly about ideas, but is partly about how our various nervous systems, moods, emotions, states of nervous system interact with each other. Yes. And so communication in a time of crisis and stress is probably much more than half uh, about the level of stress and how each person is responding to the stress than about the ideas themselves. Yes. So when we get seduced by simply focusing on the ideas, then we start arguing with them but we're missing out on maybe what is the most important part of the interaction, yes. which is that the stress is affecting all of us. And so yes. we need to respond to the stress and to our two persons being affected by stress much more than simply arguing about ideas. Yes, yes, yes. So Alan Shore uh, sums this up very nicely when he talks about there's a, a, an unconscious conversation that's happening in groups all the time at the level of the nervous system. And if we address that first, there's more space for the ideas. But if we look at the ideas, then what's happening with the nervous system simply runs the show. So if we, if we focus on the nervous system rapport first, we get both. If we focus only on the ideas, we are captured by the dynamics of the nervous system. Yeah, literally hijacked. You yeah. know, so that's a trauma reaction. We're trying to avoid dealing with the nervous system in order to deal with the ideas. In fact, we're only acting out on the nervous system. And exactly. just like in therapy, as we are coming to a more mindful place uh, and then it's possible to address things. We're doing the same thing here at the level of society. Yes. So it feels like a great place to, to end. I want to just check if you, there's something that you might want to add. Uh, this is good. This is a pleasure. Thank you, Eric. Serge, so good to see you. This is part of the Relational Implicit podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to relationalimplicit.com.